Open your Bibles, please, to Psalms 115. As I mentioned the prayer request this morning, I couldn't help but think about uh, many others that uh, we could have mentioned. I just learned a little before the service that Brother John had to leave, and he's not feeling well, and we certainly want you to keep praying for him. You're praying for Brandon, who is in the hospital. Uh, he's spent several days in ICU, and uh, uh, anyway, doing better, but uh, keep praying for him and, and his health. I think about Brother Ron, I think about Brother Barry, Brother uh, Hamlin, and on and on and on the list goes. And As I was sitting there, I was thinking about the numerous occasions over these many years that I've spoken to people in need need of different sorts, uh, some, uh, some you know, spiritual, some physical, and all different kinds of needs, and situations where I wanted, wanted to help and, uh, and couldn't. You've been there, right? I mean, we all know someone who's going through something that are in need of help that uh, nobody can provide. As much as we want to help, we're, we're absolutely powerless. We'd, uh, uh, you know, we'd like to do something. We don't know what to do, and we're troubled by their trouble. You know, we express our concern. We pray for them, and uh, and we offer to, as we might say, uh, if I can help in some way, you know, please let me know. And and then we walk away knowing that. Uh, that's all that we can do. And it serves as a reminder of the fact that, uh, that someday you'll be that person in need. Um, that's true of all of us. Right now you're looking at someone in need. Someday you'll be that person in need. And life has a way of, of uh, really surprising us. It just all of a sudden, you know, we've... Uh, thought about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and something happens that knocks the props out from under us and uh, and sometimes it surprises us for the worse rather than the better and that's why the Lord from the very beginning warned his followers to expect troubles and trials he said in the world you're going to have tribulation there's no doubt about it it's not it's not if, it's when, because it's going to happen. We can't escape those things, but by the grace of God, we can endure those things, and, and not just endure those things, but actually be edified in some way as a result of it. And I know we've all got plans of different kinds, and we just almost resent some intrusion in our life to where all of a sudden, God changes the landscape of our life, and nothing is as it as it was, and nothing's as we had really planned. So, as somebody said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him about your plans. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to live very long before you realize that life is confusing. It's unpredictable. It's frustrating, and you know, there's no way for us to know what has truly happened, at least the full extent of, of it in the past, and 
no way to understand everything that is happening or to predict what's going to happen. You can't change the past. You can't control the present. You can't chart the future. And I mention all of that simply because we cannot comprehend, change, or control our circumstances. There comes a time where all we can do is surrender. All we can do is yield ourselves. All we can do is embrace our problem. We want to run from it. We want to hide from it. We want to avoid it. And we want to do everything else except embrace it. And, and, and in the end, that's what we have to do. What we need is something that's trustworthy that we can rely upon. For the sailor, it's the polar star. For a surveyor, it is a benchmark or a landmark. But there has to be some kind of a standard by which we base everything on. And I'm going to tell you what it is for the Christian, and we're going to talk about it this morning. For the Christian, it's providence. Providence. I want you to notice verse number three of this wonderful psalm. The psalmist says, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. This last week I read an interesting exchange of thoughts regarding the election. He started with one person expressing his belief that God caused it to turn out as it did. And he was, you know, shouting glory and happy and excited about it. You know, look what God did. But someone else responded by saying, quote, God didn't have anything to do with it. It was decided by the voters. Well, that just goes to show how confused some people really are. I mean, have you ever thought about how you would describe the world in which we live? You know, we, we could describe it in a lot of different ways, but any sensible description of the world wouldn't be a pretty picture. We could talk about the fact that it is depraved, it's defiled, it is destructive, it is deceived, it is doomed, and all of those things, but... I think to put it in proper perspective, we have to realize it is disconnected from God. That's why we often refer to the world as being an upside-down world. Nothing is as it should be. Nothing is as it used to be. Everything is, has gone awry as a result of man's disconnect with God. Of course, there are those that even believe that God doesn't exist. But uh, as bad as the world is, as difficult as life is, Christians can and should be at peace. And the verse I just read explains exactly why. This tells us of the believer's blessings. They have a living hope in a living God, and, 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 and that's due to God's promises, God's perfection, God's power, His presence, His protection, His provisions. And as a result of that, they have peace. Notice verse number 1, where it says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory for Thy mercy and for Thy truth's sake. 
And so here we find a people with a relationship with God, seeking God's glory above everything else. And yet for all of the good that they have to say about the greatness of God, notice that the enemies were mocking them, just as they do today. Notice in verse number 2, it says, Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? Where is their God? That's what a lot of folks are saying today. You know, you, you Christians keep talking about your great God and He won the election. You know, God did this and God did that. And uh, where where is this God? Well, verse 3 answers that question. He's right where He's always been. He's, he's in heaven, it says here. Notice, our God is in heaven. Now, there's three things about this that we need to consider. First of all, his person, who is he? Notice it says, but our God. And that very first word is very telling because it, it reminds us that we must consider what follows in the light of what has just been said, which is what? Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? You see, this is directed toward Israel. This is a people that had a personal relationship with God, the true and the living God. And you read on and you he describes those gods of the heathen. that They're like stone and wood and they can't move, they can't speak, they can't do anything. But the Jews said, we worship the true and the living God. In other words, they were connected to the Creator and they spoke of Him here in this verse as our God. God, who is very unlike the God of the heathens, they're related to the one and the only ruler and redeemer connected with God. That's who he is. Don't ever forget that. Regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of what needs you might have, God is who he is and he never changes. But notice not, not only his person, but notice his presence here in verse number 2 also, or verse 3. And this is where he is. He says, our God, notice, in, in the heavens. They're related to the one who resides and rules in the heavens. He is where he should be, where he has always been. Now listen, this doesn't mean that God isn't anywhere else. The psalmist said in Psalms 139, though I make my bed in hell, God's there. He said, I go to the ends of the earth and God is there. I can't get away from Him everywhere. I can climb the highest mountain. I can descend into the deepest sea. It doesn't make a difference where I go. God is there. God is everywhere. So when he says that God is in the heavens, he's not saying that God is just up there somewhere and not anywhere else. He's simply reminding us here, and this is a word picture showing his supreme authority, showing his governing power over the universe. That's the idea that because God is in heaven, because God is ruling heaven, he's in control of earth. He has absolute dominion over everything. So the world is not whirling madly out of control as some people think, but rather it is under the control of the one who created it. And knowing who he is, and knowing what he has done, and knowing what he is doing, and knowing what he has promised to do, 
Knowing all of those things enables us to be at peace regardless of what our circumstances are. That's why Paul said, and remember whenever Paul wrote this, he was in prison. Paul had been beaten. Paul had gone through all different kinds of trials. And yet he tells us in Philippians chapter 4 that he had learned to be content in whatever state he was in. Now, that doesn't mean for a second that he was satisfied with everything that was going on in the world. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean he didn't feel pain. It doesn't mean that, that you know, that he felt they were justified in beating him. That, that's not the idea. The idea is that he did not allow circumstances or people or anything else to dictate whether he was going to be content. That's why he said, I rejoice in all of my trials. You see, that's a determination that you and I have to make. Your happiness, your joy is something that nobody can take away from you. It's something you have to surrender. You have to give it up. They can't just take it from you. And, and if your happiness in life is dependent upon somebody else or something else, you're going to always be miserable. And the point is, because God is who He is, and because God is where He is in absolute authority over everything in life, because of that, we can have peace regardless of our situation. Now, I've just got to tell you, if that's not good enough for you, there is no hope for you. If you cannot be satisfied in the fact that a perfect God is in control of absolutely everything and He doesn't make any mistakes, if that's not good enough, you'll never be satisfied in life. So we know now who God is. We notice His presence. He's in heaven. He's in control of all of the universe. But I want you to notice His providence, and that's where we're going to camp out this morning. God's providence. Notice what He does. We know who He is, where He is, but notice what He does. The psalmist said, He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. We see His pleasure, we see His power, we see His providence in this. Unlike those gods of wood and of stone that sit there in helpless silence, unable to meet needs, our God is active, our God is able, our God is available. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. Let me say some things about that. He not only hath done whatsoever He pleased, he has and He continues to do so. Don't forget that. Whatever He has done, He still can do. You know, when I was a lot younger, I could do a lot of things I can't do anymore. You know, I could do a hundred push-ups back then. I probably couldn't do ten now. I'm not too sure I could do one. I don't even know. I haven't even tried. I... But let me tell you, God can still do anything that He's ever done. He hasn't changed one bit. Not only that, but He does that which is right and best. He never makes a mistake. So there, therefore, He never needs to apologize. It's not like, oh, you know, whoops, I, you know, I got that wrong, you know, I, 
I, I really aim to give that disease to some heathen over there in some other part of the world that's a drug dealer and, and it just happened to fall on you. No, no, God got it right. He hath done whatsoever he pleased. You see, he never makes a mistake. He's done what he pleased, although it seemed impossible. Just go back through the Bible and look at the long record there of all of the things that God did that seemed to be impossible. Or it might be that you don't even need to open the Bible. All you need to do is to think back over the course of your life and situations that you found yourself in and you thought, wow, Ooh, this this is even too big for God. I'll never survive this. And yet here you are. You made it. By the grace of God, you made it. It seemed impossible, but God did what He pleased. Not only that, but God does whatever He pleases, and He does it with infinite wisdom. You see, He, he does it... Uh, uh, not not something just out of habit. It's not something. Uh, it's not something that he just arbitrarily chose to do. But it's out of the depths of his infinite wisdom. God said, "I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that," and he does it out of his great everlasting love. It's with wisdom. It's out of love, even though sometimes it's painful. You know, most of us, you know, we'd like to avoid anything that's going to create pain for our children, right? I mean, we, we don't enjoy seeing them suffer pain. And yet we know that's a necessary part of life. And God, even though it's painful, allows His children to be subjected to certain things simply because, you know, He cares enough that He's not going to, he's not going to cut them any slack, as we might say, and just give them a smooth road when what they need is some difficulty in their life. So he has done whatever he pleased, and he does it with wisdom, he does it out of love, he does it although it's painful, and he does it even though we cannot always understand what he's doing. And by the way, he doesn't always give an explanation, does he? You've had things happen to you, and uh, you wonder to yourself, why did God allow this? Now, God, listen, God could give you an explanation. He could write it. He could write it up in the sky with the clouds. He could do that. He could, he could give the message, you know, to the woodpecker, and he could tap it out in Morse code from the telephone poles. He could do that. God can do anything. He could give you an explanation, but he doesn't do it, does he? He, he does it also without any consultation. He doesn't need anybody's advice. He doesn't need their approval. He doesn't need their assistance. It's just not like God had to call a council in heaven and get everybody together and say, okay, you know, I've got to decide what to do and I need your input on this. No, listen, God doesn't need any assistance from anyone. So without any consultation or explanation and for a good purpose, God does whatever he does. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, it says that he worketh all things after the counsel of his will. Now, we need to remember that because there are a lot of mysteries in life. I'm talking about those things that lead to fear, that lead to frustration, that lead to failure. 
And as a result of that, we've got to understand that God is working not just some things. God's working all things according to the counsel of His will. In other words, nothing is happening by accident. It didn't just happen. God either causes it or God allows it. But either way, God's in control of it. He even allows things to happen that He doesn't approve of. God hates sin, but God allows it to happen because it is a part of a plan that you and I cannot even begin to comprehend, and God allows it to happen for reasons that we do not know. And He lets it happen. The same thing's true in our life, whatever happens. But the fact is, God is sovereign over all. And regardless of what He does, it's done for a good reason. And in the doing of it, God receives glory from it, and we receive good out of it. That's why so many people have claimed Romans 8.28 is their favorite verse. Talking about God works all all things together, not separately, but all things like the ingredients in a cake. God takes all of those different ingredients in life and He works all things together for our good. Aren't you glad that God is at work in those things in your life that happen and you don't understand it? And here you are wringing your hands and you're worried and you're fearful. And yet, listen, behind all of that, there is an all-wise, ever-loving God who says, it's all going according to plan. And it, you know, it's sad with the passing of time that some really important words get lost along the way. And this word providence is one of those words that we almost never, never hear anymore. Nobody talks about it. But I'll tell you, it was an important word concerning our forefathers in America. And we even see it in the Declaration of Independence, which says, and I quote, For the support of this declaration, we look with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. And if I had time this morning, I could read one quote after another, after another, after another of our forefathers using that word providence to express their belief that God was in control. It was Franklin who said something to the effect that if God sees the sparrow fall and God knows all of this is going on, how can He not then control the affairs of a nation? And indeed He can, because God's providence has to do with His sovereign rule over all things to accomplish His will and His purpose. In other words, it's His government of the universe. Until we learn to accept what God allows, we never find peace. And that's what this is all about here. The heathen, the heathen are mocking them, saying, Where is your God? Give us some evidence. Where is He? And they said, But our God is in the heavens. And he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. 
You see, those heathen nations looking upon the nation of Israel, maybe during the time of their great calamity, and they're looking at that situation, and they're thinking, they're thinking, wow, you know, their God has let everything get out of control. They're thinking to themselves that evidently these people are not the objects of any special affection of their God. Just notice how their God is treating them as He lets them suffer. And they realize, wait a minute, this is all a part of God's plan. Whatever we're going through, these years of captivity, this journey through the wilderness, this hardship that we have encountered, whatever it is, it's all a part of God's plan. And folks, to ever have peace in this world, because remember, we can't, we can't eliminate the problems. We can't change the circumstances. But we can discover contentment in this world, and the only way that we can do that is by our faith in God. And that's why in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, the prophet said, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. You see, the sovereignty of God speaks about the fact that God has the authority and God has the ability to do whatever He pleases, and He does. He's in complete and constant control of everything, and because He doth all things well, we have a reason to rejoice, and we can sing, there's no God like Jehovah. No God like Jehovah. That's why we sing that song, because it's true. And he promised that if we'll keep our focus on him and our faith in him, that he will give us perfect peace, because our mind is stayed upon him. God does as he pleases, and he's perfect. Because of that, if we're not pleased with what pleases God, then we're in trouble and that's where our problem is so much of the time, right? God does something, it's perfect, it's for our good, it's for our glory, for His glory. And God has designed all of this grand scheme for our life, and He's working out His will in our life, and we're mad about it. We're angry because it's not the path that we would have chosen. It's not the route that we would have taken. We, we don't understand it and we're frustrated by it. Let me tell you, if God does as He pleases and it's perfect, we ought to be pleased with it. The problem is sometimes we're not and we express that. It might be that we express our resentment against God by by rioting. That, that, what is all of the rioting about? We're talking about burning down buildings, stealing property, even killing people. What would cause somebody to do that? Oh, they say, well, we lost the election. You know, our party didn't get in. No, listen, it's about more than that because God's the one in control of all of that. You see, they're doing that in rebellion against God. They are actually expressing their resentment as to God's providence. This is what God brought about, and they're saying, we don't like it, and we're going to burn stuff down unless we get our way. 
But then there are other people that are not out there among the rioters. There are those who, although they do not give expression to their frustration as the rioters do, yet within their bosom there is a spirit of resentment that God would dare let this happen to me. You know, I've got a gut feeling that probably all of us at some time or another, in some way or another, we'd never say it, of course, right? We'd just never come out and say it. Like I had one preacher tell me that he was just pretty ticked off at God. I said, why are you, why are you, why are you angry with God? He said, because I asked God to take away my love for this other woman so I wouldn't leave my wife and he hadn't done it. And so the idiot gets a divorce and marries her and blames God for it, that God didn't answer his prayer. Wow. Try to make sense out of that. But there are those who within their bosom have this spirit of resentment, and we call it bitterness. That root of bitterness that eats away at them simply because some way or another they feel that God hasn't been fair with them. And I can look out on this congregation this morning and I can just begin to call names of people that have gone through, through difficult times. It just didn't seem right, did it? I'm certain that Brother Ron and Peggy have wondered sometimes why why did God take our son well actually two two sons that that have died but th think about Doug in the prime of his life and everything I, Bertie down here is a yeah, she's a widow I'm sure that she wondered well, hey I needed help raising these brats running around here you know and and you up and die on me you know now I can get by with that because I, I know the I know the boys and I, I told the truth. <laughs> no. Forgive me, Bertie. Look, it's never easy raising kids, and a widow has got to wonder why. Why would God let that happen to me? We've all we've all had those thoughts, right? But but I'm telling you, if we don't get a grip on it, if we don't understand that the only thing we have to rely upon is divine providence, that God is in the heavens and He does whatever He wants to do and it's always right, it's never wrong. Yes, it hurts and you don't understand and He doesn't explain. You don't see any good in it. But at some point in time, we have to embrace our grief and we have to trust God knowing that He's going to do what is right. I'm telling you, folks, if you're here today and you're a child of God, there's nothing in this world that will help you deal with the difficulties in your life any more than getting a grip on God's providence, understanding you're not going to control God. God's not going to cave into your demands. He's not going to, He's not going to stop doing what is right because we complain about it. And I know we don't understand it. He knows that. Second Corinthians 4.17, though, says all of these light afflictions. Man, you read what he's talking about. He's talking about beatings and, and hunger and pain and suffering. That's what he's talking about. He calls them light afflictions. 
said, all of those things are working for, for us. Not against us, but for us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You see, it doesn't make sense to us because we're looking at everything from the perspective of time. We relate everything that happens to the here and the now and, and here on earth. And, and that, that's all we're thinking. What, what about today? What about tomorrow? How's this going to affect me? And God's thinking about eternity. He's not looking at the things that are seen. He's looking at the things that are not seen. That's why it's crucial, and Paul tells us in that chapter that that was the way that he endured the hardships, looking not at the things that are seen or not at the things that are temporal, but those things that are eternal. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, boy, I'll tell you what, I, I just don't think I could ever go through what they went through. Let me tell you, if you're a child of God, you can go in, you can go through anything God puts you through. Because His, and I know it doesn't seem possible now, right? And we can talk about God's grace being sufficient for your need, whatever it is. But look, you don't need it yet. It hadn't happened yet. But when it happens, it'll be there. And it'll be sufficient. How wonderful to know that we can depend upon the providence of God and to know that regardless of what's going on, everything's all right in my Father's house. In my Father's house. Amen. Everything's all right. He's got it. He's got it under control. We don't need to feel sorry, and certainly we need to have empathy one for another. But we don't need to feel sorry one for another because we're going through difficulties because that's a part of God's plan. But listen, let me tell you who to feel sorry for. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I've been trying to say everything I know to say in these few minutes to encourage God's people. But I've got to tell you, if you're not a Christian, there's nothing in this world that I could say or do to be of any help to you until you receive Christ as your Savior. I, so, so I'm not trying to tell you how to live, how to behave, what attitude to have. I'm telling you, your great need is not better health, more money, or a better relationship. or any, Your great need is to have a Savior. And Jesus took care of that when He died on the cross at Calvary. And all you need do is to receive Him, trust Him, and He will save you. And you can have that same firm assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit and washed in His blood. Listen, that can be true of you if you trust Him as your Savior today. Would you do that right here, right now, this morning? Come on, while we stand and as we sing together. Father, I pray that you'll use your word this morning to comfort your people and remind us of your providence. Remind us over and over and over again that everything is under your control. Everything is all right, regardless of how painful it is to go through it. We know that for some reason that you're going to use it for good. 
But Lord, we pray especially this morning for those that are here that are strangers to your saving grace, that even this very day, that they'll see their great need of Christ, and that they might trust Him right here, right now, this morning, for we beg it in Jesus' name. Now, while we sing, would you come? Hey.